1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 20 through 28. Paul says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, when we wrap up our study tonight, I don't want you to think that in these last little verses that we're going to spend our time with tonight, that this isn't as important as the rest of the letter. Because if you ever notice in Paul's writings that when he started to realize he was getting to the end of his letter as he's dictating it, he would... Boom, 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 give them last minute, throw it all out at you. Kind of like emptying the bucket, you know. And when it's short, succinct words like this, we have a tendency to think that it's not as deep or important as the other stuff that he took longer to teach on. I want you to see tonight that, and hopefully you will see, everything he has here is still very, very important. Do you know why? Because of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. You're in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Turn over two books to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, jump to the end of 2 Peter. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3 and look at verses 14 and following. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other what? Scripture. So here Peter tells us that Paul writes some things that are hard to understand, but what Paul writes is Scripture. Actually, I uh, know of uh, a lady that has told my wife at a Bible study my wife teaches. She says, well, I don't accept the teachings of Paul. I like what Jesus says. I don't take, folks, you can't pick and choose. All scripture is breathed out by God. And Paul's writing is scripture according to scripture. Now, at the same time, Peter also pointed out that some of the stuff Paul talks about is hard to understand. Paul's very smart, very gifted, very deep. But don't think that it's ununderstandable, if you will. And don't allow those to twist it. We're going to talk about those tonight who have a tendency to twist Scripture. And it's your job, through the Holy Spirit, to know whether or not I'm teaching you truth, whether or not anybody that's saying something to you is truth or error. So as we go back to 1 Thessalonians 5, let's look closely at what Paul says here. He says, do not despise 
prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what's good. Abstain from every form of evil. Paul in these verses is teaching about hearing the word of God and listening for God's spirit's leading. And while we do, at the same time, recognizing there will be, quote unquote, other voices trying to speak as if they were God or from God. So what he's saying here is, don't despise when people share the word of God with you, prophecies, the preaching and teaching. Don't despise it. Be willing to receive it. Yet, just because someone claims to be speaking for God and even quoting scripture, don't assume that everything they say is from God or of God. You have to test everything they say and hold to what's good, reject what's evil. Now, there's... Because of this dilemma, a lot of different reactions that Christians have taken over the years. There are some Christians that take the attitude of saying, well, I only listen to so-and-so. I don't, re- I, listen, let me say something to you. There are preachers out there that I don't fully agree with in all of their theology. But that doesn't mean I won't ever listen to them if I disagree with them on certain areas. You know why? Because sometimes God may still speak to me through them. There are those that don't agree with my theology and fully. That's understandable. Yet don't be one of these people that says, well, I only follow. Be careful. The Bible says don't despise prophecies. Now, there's another reaction that people have as well. People actually, there are those that say, well, God doesn't speak anymore. I'm sure you've run across these, James. God is done speaking. He's already given us the closed canon of Scripture. Therefore, he doesn't talk anymore. We just know what, he's, what he wants us to do from the word. Well, go to 1 John chapter 4. Now, the people that go down this road are leery of those people that say, I just heard from God. I just got a word from God. And they to keep us from being duped by some of those that are out there that are false teachers... Remember, the Bible says there's going to be doctrines taught by demons in the last days. To keep us from falling prey to that, they say, don't listen to anybody that says they've heard from God. Just use the Bible. Well, go to 1 John chapter 4. Look at verses 1 through 6. He said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's going to be important later on tonight. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God doesn't listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So here John says that we're to test the spirits. When we hear speaking from God, quote unquote, from God, we're to test to see whether or not it really is from God. Now, listen, if God's not talking anymore, we don't have to test the spirits because any spirit that's talking is a demon spirit. So there's no need to test the spirits. We'll just chuck everything. No, the Bible actually tells us that God is still speaking. 
Jesus himself in John chapter 16, verse 12 said, there's much more that I have to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when the Holy Spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. He'll take from what is mine and make it known to you. There's stuff that the Spirit of God still wants to show. If, he were, to, if we're to be led of the Spirit and, and followers of God, we need to know how to recognize his voice. And he is still speaking. But at the same time, there's a lot of voices out there that are trying to speak for God. And how are you going to know which is which? You could cloister yourself and just, I'm just going to stick with the word of God. Well, as I've said to you before, and I want to say it again, and I want you to hear me. I'm not a heretic when I say this, but I want you to hear what I'm saying. If you just use the Bible by itself without the Holy Spirit's guidance, it's going to mess you up. If you try to turn the Bible into a set of rules, I was teaching at a pastor's conference years ago and uh, was teaching from my book, Principles of a God-Centered Church, and I was teaching the principle how God doesn't duplicate a method and how in this instance God did it this way, but in this similar instance God did something different. Afterwards, a guy came to me during the break and he said, I know what you're saying. He said, but I got a problem. I said, what's that? He goes, we were taught that you are to study the scripture, you find out how Jesus did it, and you tell everybody that's how you do it. Or you find how Paul did it, and you say that's how you're to do it. I said, well, I understand that, but there's a problem with just saying this is what Jesus did, you go do it. There's a problem. Because in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus has his disciples come to him, and they say, don't you realize that what you just said offended the Pharisees? And his reaction is, who cares? <laughs> They're blind leaders of the blind. Let them go. Ignore them. Yet in John chapter 3, when Jesus said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, he was having a personal conversation one-on-one -on -one with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. So how do you treat Pharisees? Do you just ignore them? Or do you reach out to them in love? And you've got to know what the Spirit is saying. You've got to know when to speak, when not to speak. What to say, what not to say. And we have to learn to recognize the Spirit of God, how to hold on to what's good, reject what's evil. I'm not done. Let me give you a couple more examples. How about in Acts chapter 16, where Paul's in a Roman colony of Philippi. He gets, well, he casts the demons out of these girls, and then he gets grabbed, he gets arrested, he gets put in chains, he gets beaten, and thrown in the inner cell. The magistrates, a little later, go to release him, and he goes, oh, no, no, no. You beat us two Roman citizens publicly without a trial. You publicly release us. Hold on to that. That's Acts 16. In Acts 22, Paul's about to be beaten again by Romans. And he pulls out a Roman citizen card. He says, wait a minute, are you allowed to beat a Roman citizen without a trial? They're like, you're a Roman citizen? He goes, yes, I am. The centurion says, I had to pay a high price to become a citizen. Paul said, I was born a citizen. And when they realized that they had a Roman citizen in chains and they're about to beat him, they quickly released him because the law said that if you were a Roman citizen, you couldn't have been arrested, you couldn't have been put in chains, you couldn't be beaten unless you've been found guilty in a trial. And if anybody had done that to a Roman citizen, they were to be beaten. Now people say, well, maybe in Acts 16, Paul didn't know about that law. And between Acts 16 and Acts 22, someone said, hey, Paul, you didn't have to go through that beating. No. Remember what they said? You beat us two Roman citizens publicly without a trial. He knew about the law. 
Well, some people say, well, maybe Paul was a Roman citizen and Silas wasn't. And Paul knew that he could probably get out of the beating. But to be fair to Silas, he, no, 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 no. You beat us two Roman citizens without a trial. Folks, there's only one answer. The Holy Spirit told Paul to keep his Roman citizen card in his pocket. And then in that instance, take the beating. Well, we know now why. Because in him taking the beating and not getting out of it like he could have, the jailer and his family get saved. And we need to know, be people who know how to recognize the Spirit leading us. Jesus lets Lazarus die. He then goes a couple days later. Martha comes, says word for word to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus gives her a sermon. A couple verses later, a little bit later, Mary comes. Listen to what Mary says. Word for word. You can double check me. Word for word what Martha says. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus cries with her. So, do you see the danger of taking, well, this is what Jesus did here. That's what you're to always do. No, Romans, we don't have to turn there. But in Romans chapter 7, I think it's around verse 6, it says, we're set free from the law. To serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. And people have tried to take Christianity back to the old written code and turn the Bible into a set of rules to follow. But the thing is, the Bible actually is necessary because that will help us recognize who's talking. Because if what they're saying doesn't line up with the word of God, you'll know it's the spirit of error, not the spirit of truth. But at the same time, we are not to despise prophecies. We're not to say, well, I'm not going to listen to anybody. No, Satan wants us to isolate ourselves. And actually, the Bible shows us that God does use other believers to encourage, to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Aren't we supposed to be involved in the lives of each other without becoming everybody else's Lord? There's this wrestling match. There's this hard. We have to learn, and I'm going to take you into this a little bit deeper. We're about to get into graduate level because I'm going to give you a really tough one in just a second. Something you probably have never seen before ever in the Bible. But we're to learn how to be involved in each other's lives, willing to share what we believe God wants us to share with each other, yet trusting in God to help them get there because we may be right and we may be wrong. We don't say, well, I just won't speak. No, if the Spirit of God's wanting you to, do so. But at the same time, don't get mad if they don't listen to you. When I got cancer, I had lots of people all over the country letting me know how I was supposed to respond to it. How I was supposed to have faith or you just got to use calcium something. There was something from, I don't know, you name it. Everybody had the cure. And their intentions were good. I could have said, la, 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 I'm just going to listen to God. No, I, no, the Bible says that God may actually have something for me through a brother or sister, and I need to be willing to receive it. Yet, I need to also listen to the Spirit of God and do what He tells me. Hold on to what's good, reject what's evil. Go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We're about to get your graduate level test. The first part's not as hard as the second part, so I'm just going to let you know. If you think the first part's it, you think, hey, I'm graduate level. No, we haven't even gotten to the hard one yet. Acts 20, look at verses 22 through 24. Listen to what Paul says here. 
He says, and now, being, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. By the way, is that Spirit small s or capital S? That's the Holy Spirit. Constrained by the Holy Spirit. I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit. Some translations say bound by the Holy Spirit. I have to go to Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit wants me and is making me go to Jerusalem. You understand what he just said, right? Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I'm, I don't account my life as any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So in Acts 20, Paul said, I'm going to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit says I'm to go to Jerusalem. Don't know the specifics. I just know that the Holy Spirit's warned me that hardship and imprisonment await me. Jump over to chapter 21. We're in a different town now. And look at verse 10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and he bound his own feet and hands. And he said, thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. When, then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Now, don't miss this. He's in a different town with a different group of believers. This prophet Agabus came, took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, the owner of this belt, which is Paul, will be bound when he goes to Jerusalem. All the other believers were like, that means you're not supposed to go. Paul said, actually, it lines up exactly with what the Spirit of God's been telling me. It's a confirmation but this isn't the first time that other believers tried to talk Paul out of going to Jerusalem. Back up in chapter 21 to verse 3. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there was a ship that was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days and through the Spirit, look closely, is that a small s or a capital S? Through the Holy Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Acts 20, Paul says, the Holy Spirit is binding me, compelling me, constraining me to go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's warned me that hardship and imprisonment await me. When he gets to chapter 21, verse 10 and following, the prophet Agabus that takes Paul's belt, ties his own hands and feet, says the Holy Spirit says that he's, the owner of this belt's going to be bound when they go to Jerusalem. Everybody else said that means you're not supposed to go. And a lot of people don't even know that between Paul saying Acts 20 and Acts 21.10 in verses 3 and following, he had already met with another group of believers on his journey. And through the Holy Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So how in the world can the Holy Spirit tell Paul to go to Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit have these people tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Testing his, Testing his faith. I love it. You're ready for graduate level. There's a story in the Old Testament where God has this prophet go make a prophecy. And this is what God tells the prophet. Go straight to the king 
Make your prophecy. Don't eat with them and leave immediately. And don't even go back on the same route you went. You take a different route home. And if anybody tells you to eat with them, don't do it. So he goes, he gives his prophecy. King says, why don't you stick around and have something to eat before he goes? He says, no, and he takes off running, goes home a different way. As he's on his way back, another prophet comes out and said, God told me to tell you it's okay to eat with me. I mean, he hadn't told anybody what God had told him. And so all of a sudden this guy comes out who's a prophet and says, God told me it's okay for you to eat with me. And the guy does. When he finishes the meal, it was his last meal, a lion kills him. And then just stands there over the dead body, doesn't eat him, just kills him and just stands there. There are going to be times that God may even use other believers to hone your ability to listen to him. When Jesus went into the wilderness and was tempted and tested by the devil, who led him into the spirit? I'm sorry, into the wilderness. Gave my answer away, didn't I? The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tested and tempted by the devil. Now, God doesn't tempt anyone. But he will orchestrate our lives in such a way that we will be tested and tempted. That's why the Bible te teaches us in the Lord's Prayer to pray, Our Heavenly Father, lead us not into temptation, but if you choose to, Deliver us from the evil one. We're looking to you to keep us from heading down those roads. And if you choose to let the enemy have some sway, give us victory. So that we'll keep our eyes on him. That's why Paul is saying to these new believers, this church hasn't been around long. Remember our study of 1 Thessalonians? I know we haven't been together in a while because of Christmas and New Year's and then the storm. Let me just say this. You remember... Paul wrote to this church this letter because he had just gotten word back from Timothy that they were making it. And he was sure he wasn't sure if they were going to make it. They had come to faith. It sure looked like they were saved. But because of persecution and him being chased off, he sent Timothy to go make sure they even made it as a church. So this isn't a deep, strong, long time walking with the Lord church. This is a bunch of new believers. And Paul says to them, don't despise prophecies. Be willing to listen. You may not even like the person that God uses to talk to you. But one of the things that helps me is that God uses donkeys. God used a donkey one time to talk to Balaam, didn't he? He, he can use whoever he wants. And I've got to be honest with you. In my years of being a pastor, I've been preaching now full time since 1984. I've run across some, let's just say, interesting people in the church. But you know what? Some of the times that I actually heard God the most is once in a while through one of these people that I think might be a few fries short of a Happy Meal. <laughs> but every now and then, they'll say something and you'll know God just spoke. Because he's teaching us how to listen to him. Don't decide, well, this person always speaks truth. That's a dangerous thing. Don't decide that person would never speak truth. You don't know. Do you remember how Caiaphas said it's better for a nation that one man die than the whole nation perish? Caiaphas wasn't a great guy. 
He was the one leading the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But the scripture said, by this Caiaphas prophesied. Caiaphas prophesied. And he wasn't even saved. So again, listen to me. This is going to make us a whole lot more fun to be around. Don't isolate yourself. Be willing to share with each other. If someone has, says, they, can, can I share with you something I feel like God wants me to share? Listen. But at the same time, don't just assume it's from God. Test it. If it lines up with something, if you come to me and say, Jim, can I share a word from God for, with you? I'm going to say, sure. But I will also stop you and say, let me clarify for you before you go any further, though, two things. One, if you say something to me now that's from God that I've never heard or even thought about, it's not tied to anything that I'm dealing with, I'm going to reject it. Because God lives within me and he would never tell you something first and then me. Yet, I want to hear what you have to say because there are some things in all of our lives that we're praying through. And you might say something to me that I know is from God because it's going to line up with exactly what I've been praying about and you don't even know about. And God does that. Therefore, go ahead, share with me what you think. Now, let me add this one last thing, though. If I don't listen to you, love me anyway. What did the early church do when Paul wouldn't be persuaded to not go to Jerusalem? We're leaving you in God's hands then. We're leaving you in God's hands. And one of the problems in the church is, is we get mad at each other when we speak for God and we know we've heard from God and you didn't listen. And we want to say, I told you so. No, relax. Who's the only one that shares real spiritual truth? It's only God. Don't isolate yourself. Live life together. If you feel like God wants you to share something, make sure you've prayed about it first. And then if you don't, if you still feel like he wants you to do it in love, but do it in such a way that says, look, if you just want to chuck it, that's fine, too. I did what God asked me to do. You deal with it between you and him. Now, you know, Jesus had to go through this, right? In Matthew chapter 16, Peter has just made his profession of his faith. He's become rock man. He's moved from Simon to Rocky. And just a few verses later, Jesus says, hey, guys, let me fill you in on what God's plan is. I'm going to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. And Peter rebukes him. No, 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 Lord. Nah, that's not a part of our plan. We're not going to let that happen. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Now, at the same time, I'm glad he did that because that's helpful for us and we can learn from that. I'm going to encourage you, though. It's not going to be real fun for the people around you if you immediately reject what they say and say, get behind me, Satan. Just do it quietly. <laughs> As you re reject what's evil and only hold on to what's good, you'll be a lot more fun to be around if you say that quietly because you know that's not from, the, from, from God, but from the enemy. Because I bet you Paul, Peter was well-intentioned. I bet you the people in Acts chapter 21, verses 10 and following, who begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem were well-intentioned. And don't just assume that everybody, even if Satan speaks through them, did it on purpose. You know what I'm saying? Now, let's go to the next verse, verses 23 and 24. 
Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. By the way, this is exactly why I believe Paul was able to give such graduate level teaching to a new church. Because he knew who had begun the good work and who would finish it. Have you ever noticed in the scriptures that Paul would share truth from God, but he left it to God for people to whether or not they grasped it or did it? He didn't pull out his apostle card and command. When he writes to Philemon about Onesimus, he said, I have, because of my authority as an apostle, I could command you to do the right thing and take Onesimus back, but I would rather you do it out of your own heart in response to God, and so I'm not going to force you. I'm going to ask you to do it. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 and following, Paul says this. He says, forgetting what's behind, straining toward what's ahead, I press on to the goal of the high calling of Christ Jesus. And then he says this, and all of you who are mature will think this way. Listen to the next verse. But if in anything you think otherwise, the Lord will show that to you. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verses 24 through 26. Second Timothy 2 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. That they may come to their sentences, sorry, senses, and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. We should gently instruct in the hopes that God will bring them to the understanding. Now, I am moving into a realm of my life where God is teaching me some things along this area, and I'm just going to share personally with you. First off, when I was young, I was smarter than everybody, and I was full of zeal, I had a fervor. Man, when I used to start preaching, I used to preach things so boldly because I was convinced if I felt this way, this strongly, God had to believe it, too. And I made a lot of mistakes. God still used me. And to be honest with you, he even used a lot of those mistakes to shape me to who I am. Now, listen closely. As I've gotten older, about to turn 59. I know I sound like a puppy to some of you guys, but it's OK. Listen, as I've gotten older, though, I have kids who are in their mid to late 20s and early 30s who are in a major time of their life to make decisions that I could. I want them to avoid the mistakes that I've made. But did you hear what I just said? I just said God used these mistakes to make me who I am, yet in my flesh, in my wisdom, I want to help my kids avoid those mistakes and not become what God would have them to be. In our wisdom of our years, we have learned a lot and we want to tell everybody everything we've learned. And the Holy Spirit will be teaching us to say when to speak and when not to. You know what? 
I don't agree with the decision you're about to make, but it ain't going to kill you. It's, it's going to make you limp for a little bit, but it ain't going to kill you. And you got to know when to speak and when to just say, all right, Lord, you know what? I used to make crazier decisions. I've had to look back and think, man, I can't believe they stayed out there late. What are they doing? And then all of a sudden I remember, dude, there were like three days I never went to bed. <laughs> I look, I keep, you forget who we used to be, but God got us through it. And in the same way, this same God who began a good work in you will finish it. And I have to trust that the Holy Spirit that lives within my children, and I know he does, will get them where he wants them to be. And my role now is to be there for counsel and guidance when they ask most of the time. There may be a time or two the Spirit says, I want you to step in and speak. But most of the time, he said, I got this. They're my kids, not yours. If you remember, Jim, you and Becky held them up in that church on the baby dedication Sunday and gave them to me. You've taken them back a few times over the years, but I still hold you to what you did in that first service there. You gave them to me. They're mine. They weren't created for you anyway. They were created for me. And so Paul's able to write to this church who are young in their faith, wasn't sure how they were going to do. And he's able to write to them and say, I'm going to give you graduate level teaching here that you may not even understand what I'm talking about until years from now. But the one who calls you is faithful. He's going to make your whole body, soul and spirit blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. And for those of you that are grandparents. You're going to need to know this. So that God will give you peace. As you pray for your kids and your grandkids. Don't be the grandparent that actually does more damage by keep saying, why aren't you in church? Why aren't you in church? Let God do his work. But let me say this to you. They can't outrun your prayers. They may outrun you. They may outrun your emails. They may outrun your texts. They out, may outrun any little note, article you send them or whatever. But they can't outrun your prayers. Heard this story years ago about this police officer was chasing this guy in a fast car. And he chased him for a while. And then all of a sudden, he just kind of slowed down. And the other cop who was sitting in the passenger seat said, what are you doing? He's going to get away. He goes, oh, his car's faster than mine. Well, he's going to get away. Well, he's faster than my car, but he's not faster than my radio. In the same way, let God do his work in his time. Don't forget who you used to be either. Yes, you've learned a lot. Yes, you've grown in your walk with the Lord. Yes, God's given you insight. That doesn't mean you're supposed to share it all the time. And this is going to be a journey we all have to learn. But then Paul does something even crazier. Look at what he says next. Look at verse 25. Brothers, pray for us. Now, hang on for a second. This is the apostle Paul. This is the guy that risked his life to go all over the globe, who went into Thessalonica, shared the gospel. The church got built. He was sending people to take care of him and to look after him. They had a high view of Paul. He was excited to know that they longed to see him and, and thought well of him, even though Paul had been accused of a whole lot of stuff. And now Apostle Paul said, would you pray for us? Why? Because Paul understood a lot. And he understood that he was just as human as anybody else. 
and that there's a power in praying for each other. You know why? Because the more I pray for you, the more I hand you over to God. You, you ever notice that that really starts to happen as you begin to really pray, really pray? God does a work in you where all of a sudden you have more of this peace that he's got it. Even though you don't know what he's going to do, you got a peace that he's got it. And God uses prayer to help us. And I think that's why before we even share a prophecy, if you will, with anybody, we need to be praying for somebody. Because sometimes God may have us rebuke or correct. But let me ask you a question. This person that God may use you to rebuke or correct, do they know that you already love them? If you haven't put any deposits in their love account, it's going to be real hard for you to make a withdrawal. And praying for people really makes a difference. Now, I'm going to share a story with you from the Bible. It's in Acts chapter 12, where um, I want to encourage you with this. Peter was arrested and put in prison. And again, this is where God gets to be God and we have to leave it to him. The James, remember James and John, the sons of thunder? James of James and John had just been put in that same prison and he had been killed by Herod. And when Herod realized that this pleased the Jews, he had Peter arrested and Peter was going to be put to death. And while Peter's in that same prison that James was put to death in, the church started praying. They met it in this one lady's house. Most likely it was John Mark's mom's house. And they're praying for Peter. And while they're praying for him, the chains just fall off. The doors of the jail just fly open. The guards don't even wake up. An angel has to smack Peter on the side and say, dude, get up. He thinks he's having a dream or a vision. But he just kind of walks out of the jail, walks out of the city gates open. He walks out and all of a sudden he realizes this is real. So he goes to the house where they're praying. And as he knocks on the door, there's a girl there named Rhoda. And he tells him, tells her, it's Peter. Let me in. She doesn't open the door. She leaves him outside. Um, can you imagine, Peter, you've just gotten out of the jail and you're thinking, my luck's about to run out. Dude, open the door. But she runs in and she tells everybody that's praying, Peter's at the door. This is what they said. No, he ain't. Even though they were praying. Yes, the Bible does say that the prayer of a righteous person has power. But at the same time, don't think that if you don't pray hard enough, God moves when we pray, even though we don't know how to pray. And even if we're even struggling a little bit with belief in our prayers. They said it must be his ghost. Then they went and let him in. We need to pray for each other. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. Look at verses 17 through 19. Obey your leaders and submit to them for their keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. So whoever the Hebrew writer is, he was a leader in the church and he was saying, pray for us and pray that I'd be able to re be restored to you. But don't miss this. I'm sure a lot of us have gone bowling. And if you've ever gone bowling, you probably like most people and the, your first ball usually hits that one way on the right or way on the left. You ever notice that? It's crazy how, how often you'll hit that pin more than the head pin. 
I always jokingly told my wife and kids, you know, that's the hardest pin to hit. Just to hit just that one pin, you're really, really good. But that wasn't where you were aiming. You know where you were aiming? You were aiming at the head pin. You know why? Because you know if you hit the head pin, you actually can do a lot more damage to the other pins. Don't you know the enemy knows this as well? And those who are in leadership in the church, Satan's going to go after them even harder. Oh, I'm not going to get political. I'm going to get biblical. You know, the Bible says we're to pray for those who are in authority over us in our government, even if we don't agree with them. Because God's the one who designed authority. God's the one who designed government. And it's actually for our good. Even if the government's bad, it's still better than it would be if there was no government. We're about to head into a time of chaos on the globe, which is going to make the world clamor for a one world government. The Antichrist is going to come on the scene and everybody's going to be like, Whew. but let me just say this to you. Do you pray for them? Because it'll change your attitude and heart for them. They don't have an easy job. They don't have an easy job at all. I'll be honest with you. I don't know who's going to win the election, but I don't want to be it. I don't want to be the guy. Can you even imagine? Paul says, I want you to understand the importance of listening and being sensitive to the Spirit of God, and he'll use all different ways to speak to you through his word, through prayer, through his spirit, and other believers. Don't reject any prophecy, but listen closely. Let the Spirit of God show you what to take, what not to take, what's from him, what's not from him. Oh, and I'm okay with telling you all this because I know that he who began the good work will finish it. He will finish what he's doing. That's why in Jude, uh, verses 24 and 25, he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless, without spot, and with great joy. Oh, do you know in Romans chapter 14, verse 4, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. Listen, and the Lord will make him stand. You and I may trip up over the years in this process of learning how to grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus. And if we look back over our lives, we have. But as we move into maturity, don't ever lose sight of the fact that God used a lot of those trip ups to teach us things that we never would have learned any other way. And we have to know that God's able to use failure in this day and age where we don't want anybody to make a mistake. Now we're going to do something here. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 5 and look at verse 26. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. By the way, last night, as soon as I read that, there was a husband and wife that were sitting right over here at this one table, and I had to tell them to get a room. They took that opportunity to make out. And I said, hey, that's not exactly what this is talking about. But there's something to what they just did that actually is tied to this. But before I go into all that, I want to show you how this isn't an isolated thing. Go with me to Romans chapter 16 and look at verse 16. Hopefully you're about to see that this is written a lot. Romans 16 verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. 
He didn't even write it at the very end of his letter. This is actually in verse 16, and there's still all the way to verse 27 in this chapter. Go to 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16, look at verse 20. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Look at verse 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Well, Jim, that's Paul. Paul's the one that just likes to say kiss each other. No. Go to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. Look at verse 14. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Now, there's something here. And I've seen it a lot in our churches, and I want to encourage it. And even all the more as we see the day approaching. Back in the culture of that day, if you've ever been over to that part of the world, people kiss each other when they greet. Men kiss men, and they kiss on the cheeks. And some parts, like in Ukraine and Romania, they'll kiss you on the lips. By the way, if you're not ready for that during Lord's Supper, you're ready for a Lord's Supper you'll never forget when some guy that you don't know comes and kisses you on the mouth. But listen, I'm not talking about kissing each other on the mouth. And we all do. listen. But in our day and age, have you ever said to somebody that you knew was going to see somebody you knew and loved? Hug them for me. Hug them for me. This is pretty much what's going on here. There was a greeting that was very common in their day, and they would kiss. But there's a different greeting amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to encourage you. You don't even know. There are single people out there today in our churches who don't get hardly any contact at all. I realized that about my brother Jeremy when he was living by himself. It hit us one day after my parents had died, and he had been living by himself. I don't know if Jer gets any physical contact. So Becky and I started going out of our way to when we saw him, giving him a hug. Well, he'll make a joke, but you could also see he liked it. Now that he lives with us, he has to deal with it even more. <laughs> but at the same time, we need to encourage each other. Again, we live in a day and age in which I don't want to get you in trouble or anything like that, so ask somebody if they wouldn't mind a hug. But at the same time, don't be afraid to give physical affection in this day. Well, Jim, what about COVID? What about? <sighs> Chill out. Do you realize you're talking to someone that travels all the time? And I'm in all these different churches. And everywhere I go, something's breaking out. I could be absolutely panicked. I've flown on I don't know how many airplanes in the last week or so. Everybody's coughing on them. But you know what? Satan wants to take that and have us isolate. Don't. Don't. We need each other. We need each other. So at the end of Paul's letter, let me read it to you one more time now. We'll, we'll let you home, go home early because we're going to stop here and pick up next week. He says, Don't, do not despise prophecies. Stay sensitive and willing to listen to God, but test everything. Hold fast to what's good. Abstain from every form of evil. 
Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. And I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, if Paul said, I put you under oath to have this read to all the brothers, sounds like it was pretty important that they got this letter. And it's important that we know it as well. Now, when we come back next week, we're going to go right into 2 Thessalonians. And if you've ever noticed, 2 Thessalonians is very short. But it deals with a lot of intense eschatology, end times. Can't wait to start diving into that, really looking some more at the day of the Lord and timing of certain events. But until then, I love you. And if you want a hug, I'm down here. If you want a kiss, James is right there. (laughs) 